Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at Colossians 1 and some in chapter 2 today as well. Um, And last week, uh, our first Sunday uh, here in the new building, our first Sunday in our new ministry year. And uh, yeah, we can clap for that. Amen. And uh, but we started a new series and a new theme for this year called Take a Step. And uh, we want to focus in on for these first few weeks uh, this this illustration that God gives us in his word about walking with Christ, about walking in our Christian life, and how we can be uh, diligent and intentional about taking new steps in our faith journey with God. And so last week we talked about taking that step of being a true worshiper of God, and today we want to talk about taking a step of walking worthy with Christ and what that looks like uh, from the scriptures. So um, I, uh, I recently had the privilege of getting to uh, be a part of an Eagle Scout ceremony for one of our students in our student ministry here. And uh, it, was, it was my first one. I have, I have zero background with scouting. Like, like never did as a kid. That was never on the radar for our family. Like my, my best survival skill out in the wild is GPS, a holiday in, so we know where to go. Right? Like that's, that's how the Mathis family rolls. But, um, but I got to go and be a part of this, this really cool ceremony. And um, I just kind of assumed that, you know, you did a certain number of badges and then eventually you got the Eagle Scout thing. And that was pretty much it. Uh, but I came to learn that that's actually, a, there's actually a lot more to it than that. And there's actually several ranks that you have to work through over many years uh, to get to that level of Eagle Scout and to earn that that rank. And and there's all kinds of learning, there's all kinds of skills you have to pass, there's all kinds of stuff that you have to do to prove that you're worthy of that rank. And we see that kind of same meant that same kind of setup in a lot of our professions as well, right? Like if you're if you're in the military. You have to learn and you have to grow and you have to prove yourself in various ways to get to the next rank and then to the next rank and so on and so forth. Uh, if you're in the medical profession, right, you have to do so many years of schooling and then internships and then a residency and all these things to earn that, that role, that title of doctor or nurse or whatever it might be. Um, and even, even if you're a tradesman, right, there are so many hours that you have to go through of learning and growing in that skill and proving yourself underneath a, uh, a certified tradesman before you get that role or that title. That same principle applies to us as Christians. God designed our walk, our following of him, to be a process of learning, that we're supposed to be growing in our knowledge of who he is and his wisdom of his word over time so that we can continue to walk more and more worthy of the name of Christ. And that's what we're going to see today as uh, Paul pulls this out here in Colossians, that as followers of Christ, that's our desire, right? We want to live for him. We want to walk for him. We want to be worthy of the one who saved us, who called us to his great name. But it doesn't start with the walking, It starts with the learning so that we can have what we need to grow and to walk. And so here's kind of the big thought this morning as we look at Colossians chapter 1. My walk with God grows more worthy of him as I learn from him. If I really want to be more worthy of Christ as I walk through this life, it's going to come as I learn, as I grow, as I press into who he is and into the power of his word. And so let me show you what I'm talking about here. Look at uh, chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 9, is where we want to pick it up this morning. You can follow along in your Bibles. It says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So Paul's here saying, This is my prayer for you, the church. This is my prayer for Christians. 
says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the first main point I want to show you this morning is this, that that to walk worthy of the Lord, I need, and then Paul's going to list here in this passage three things that we need if we're gonna truly walk worthy of Christ in this life. But before we even get to the list, let's even define what we're talking about here when we say walk worthy, right? What's that mean? He says to walk worthy of Christ. Well, this is Paul's prayer. This is Paul's desire for all believers. This is a big deal. And he defines it right in the text. I love it when scripture does this. He makes it super simple for us, right? He says, walk worthy as those who are fully pleasing to him. Do you see that? To walk worthy of Christ means to be fu- uh, to live a life fully pleasing to the Lord. That's a tall order, right? That's, that's a hard thing to do, and we can't do it on our own, and so Paul's going to tell us, here's what you need for this to work, and, but that should be, even though it's hard, that should be the heart, and that should be the desire of every true worshiper of Christ, if we really believe that he is God, if we really believe that he is our savior, then he is worthy of us giving all that we have to follow and to please him. So Paul here, he lays out three things that we need. He says, first of all, you need his knowledge. His knowledge or his wisdom, he says. He says, I pray that, that, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. If we're going to please God, if we're going to walk worthy of God, then we have to know his will. We have to know what he wants us to do, right, if we're going to please him. And isn't that the big question over all of our lives as Christians? Like, what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my church? What is God's will for my family, for my business, for my money? Like, what's God's will? We're constantly looking at that. We're constantly asking that question as Christians. And I think sometimes we get into this trap of believing that to understand or to know God's will, that we have to have some like special mystical experience, right? Like we have to have some special prayer moment where we hear like the audible voice of God and God says, this is my will for you. Or he probably doesn't say it like that, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like, or, or we have to see some sign out, you know, that we're out in life and this, ha- oh, that means this because I was asking God about this thing and this sign tells me that God's speaking. Or we think that there's some like, super spiritual experience that we have to have in order to understand and to know God's will. But that's really not how it works most of the time. Can God speak to us in supernatural ways? Yes, yes he absolutely can. He's God, right? He can do whatever he wants. And sometimes he does. But that's not the primary way that God reveals his will to his people. You want to know the trick? You want to know the, the secret to knowing God's will? The will of God is found in the word of God. If you want to know God's will, he told you, he gave it to us. It's right here. 
We just have to know and study his word. And as you study his word, his will will become clear through the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn it. We need to know it. We need to study it. And so Paul says, I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what we really need if we're going to walk worthy of God. We need his spiritual wisdom. We need to think like God thinks. We need to understand what he says is most important, what is most valuable. And so if we're going to if we're going to do this, if we're going to know God's will, if we're going to walk worthy of him, we're going to have his wisdom, how do we get that? Where does that come from? Right? How does, what's that look like? Let me give you some more scripture here to help kind of narrow down this God's will and wisdom thing. First of all, what we find in scripture is that spiritual wisdom, true wisdom, it only comes from God. You can go ahead and throw away all their sources or at least put them second on the list because all true wisdom comes from God. Proverbs 2, 6 says that for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. If we really want spiritual wisdom, we gotta go straight to the source, friends. God is the one who gives wisdom. So first of all, we need to know that it comes only from God. Secondly, we, it comes when we ask for it. Did you know that? Did you know that God actually wants us to come to him and ask for wisdom? James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So if we want to walk worthy of God and we want to have his wisdom and his knowledge, we have to know that it comes from him, and so we have to go to him and ask him for his wisdom. But then there's one more thing. As we already said, it, when he responds to that request, guess how he's going to give you that wisdom? <laughs> Through his word. It comes from God's word. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So if I really want, to, if I really want the knowledge of God, if I really want to know the will of God, I need to humble myself enough to know that it's only going to come from him to go and to ask God for it and then be willing to open up God's word and let him speak to me and give me what I'm asking for. So Paul says, you need, I, want, I pray that you have his knowledge. I pray that you have his wisdom. And then he goes on, look what he says. He says, as we grow in his wisdom and knowledge, then we can bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. So I love this. This is like a cyclical pattern, right? So as I, as I go to God and I ask for wisdom and I open God's word and he shows it to me, that then changes my heart and changes my life and good works, good fruit start to come from the change that he's doing in my heart. But it doesn't stop there. He says, bearing, bearing fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. As I start to live out what God's what wisdom God has given me through his word, guess what he does? He opens up my heart, my mind to know more and to learn more and to get more wisdom and knowledge. And then I can put that into practice and I can have more good fruit, which brings more wisdom. And it just goes on and on and on. As we're walking worthy of God and the knowledge of his word, the knowledge of his will. So to be walk worthy of God, first of all, we need knowledge. That's the first thing. Second thing Paul says, we need his power. 
his power. He says, I pray that you would be strengthened with all power through his glorious might. Now notice here, it's God's power, right? It's not our power. He's not asking you to muscle it. He's not asking you to to white knuckle and just get through the day and grind it out. He's saying, my power is what you need. And that power for us as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that power comes through the Holy Spirit coming and living and dwelling inside of us. That we, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living inside. You literally have the power of God living in you. Paul says that's what we need. It's the same power that originally saved us and brought us to salvation in the first place. You you didn't even have enough power to save yourself. (laughs) God did that. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God's power is what comes and saves us and changes our hearts to respond to him. And then that same power that saved us continues to work in us, to sanctify us, to grow us, to help us walk worthy of God. Acts 1.8 says, but you, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that goes for you and I as well. That we receive the Holy Spirit through salvation, his power comes and lives inside of us and it grows us, it teaches us, it leads us in his ways. He says, I pray that you would be filled with the power, with the glorious might of God. So, look what it says, for all endurance and patience with joy. Friends, we need his power more in times of suffering than we even do in times of victory. Sometimes I think it's, it's a lot easier to claim the power of God and to rejoice in the power of God when we have the high moments, Right? Like last Sunday, we had our first Sunday. It was an awesome Sunday. I'm like, we're like, yes, look at the power of God. Look how good and faithful God is. Would we, would we still have glorified in the power of God if only 10 people showed up last week? Or if you didn't get that good report from the doctor this week? Or if you lost your job? Would we still rely on, would we still turn to, would we still rejoice in the power of our God in the low points, in the struggle, in the pain? Paul says we need the power of God for all endurance and patience when things are hard. We've all heard the verse, right? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We got it on the t-shirts and the coffee mugs and the like. That verse isn't for the times of victory. That verse is for the times of struggle. That's when we need to remind ourselves that we can do all things through God's power working in us and on us and for us when we can't do it ourselves. So if we're gonna walk worthy of God, we need his knowledge. We need his power because we can't do it. And thirdly, we need his redemption. Paul always brings it back to redemption. He always brings it back 
to the gospel, right? He says, he who has qualified you, who has delivered us, who has transferred us, in whom we have redemption. If we're gonna walk worthy of Christ, first it starts with Christ's redemption of us. We have no shot of walking worthy of Christ until we have been saved by Christ. I told you last week that the the biggest problem in our world is the fact that every one of us are sinners. That we are born with these sinful hearts and these sinful minds that, that desire these the, the things that we want and the, and the way that we want to do it and, and we want to go our own way and we don't want to listen to God. We don't want to obey God. We don't want to submit to God. And so we rebel against him and we sin against a holy and perfect God. And because he is holy and perfect and just, he has to deal with that sin. It has to be punished. It has, and we deserve death and wrath and hell because of our rebellion against the God of the universe. But God is not only just, he's also gracious and loving, and he desires that all of us would come back into relationship with him. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come to be a human, to walk on this earth, just like you and I, but to do it as a perfect, sinless being, so that at the end of that life, he could go to the cross, and he could give that life as a sacrifice to redeem us. We had a debt that we could not pay. We had sin that we could not fix. And Christ gave his perfect life to pay the price that we owed to God. And to redeem us from death, to redeem us from suffering, to redeem us from hell so that we could have new life with him. And he went into the grave and three days later he rose back to life. To show us that he was God and to offer to all of us forgiveness and grace and redemption if we will believe. You have to take that step. You have to take that step of faith and believe in Jesus Christ as God and Savior. And when you do that, he redeems you from everything that you've ever done. Some of you are thinking right now, like, I, I, I cannot believe that, Micah. That, that is there is no way. You do not know my past. You do not know what I've done. You're right. I might not know your story, but I know the story of plenty of other people in this room, and I guarantee you, all of it. He washes all of it away, and he redeems and forgives and saves all who believe in him. And Paul says, this is what you need. If you want to walk worthy of Jesus Christ, you need redemption from sin. Do you have that today? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and let him redeem you from your sin? If not yet, I would encourage you, do that today. Take that first step in a relationship with God. So Paul gives us this list. He says, you need redemption, you need his power, you need his knowledge. But notice, all three of those things, they all come from him. 
He's like, listen, if you want to be with Christ, you don't have what you need on your own. It's only going to happen as you put your faith and your trust in him, let him supply everything that you need to walk worthy. His knowledge, his power, him paying the price for your sin so that you can believe and be redeemed. It all flows from him. As I was thinking this week, I was pondering on some of this, and, and I was thinking back to my, my first real job. My first real job was working the concession stand at the St. Francis County Sprint Car Racetrack. Uh, there was this little dirt track outside of, our, outside of our town, and those cars would get out there every Saturday night, and they would just run laps and run laps, and our job was to fuel, not the cars, but the people, and to give them the food and the drink and to keep them coming back and satisfied. And, and uh, when I first started working there, I was only 15 years old. And, uh, but one of the guys in our church owned the track, and so he said, hey, you can come work for me. I know you're not 16 yet, but, but you can come. And I, my goal was to start saving money up to buy my first car when I turned 16. But there was a problem. In order to be able to work, I had to rely on my mom, right? Because I, first of all, you can't work in Missouri at that point in time before 16. So she had to sign off on a thing saying that I was able to work and they weren't, you know, me as a child slave or something crazy. So, so she had to sign off that I could do the work, and then um, she had to drive me there. She had to take her time, her money, her gas to get me there and get me back every Saturday night and so I could work and I could earn in, in, in order to, to get this car. And so there was no possible way that I could do that job without her providing what I needed. Same thing is true working and following and walking worthy of Christ. We cannot do it on our own. We don't have what we need. He does. So we have to rely on him to provide everything that we need to walk worthy. So let me summarize it this way. I can only walk worthy in Jesus in his redemption, in his power, in his knowledge. I need him. So that's what Paul tells us we need to walk worthy. But then in Colossians chapter 2, he goes a step further. and He's going to tell us uh, what we must do. If we have what we need, what we, we must do in return in order to walk worthy in Christ. So look at chapter two, next page or next section there in, your, in Colossians, and look at verse six. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So the second point today is simply this. To walk worthy in him, I must be, and there's going to be, again, three things. Paul's going to give us a list here. But before we get to the list, I want to, I want to point out again, look at verse 6. He says, as you receive Christ, 
so walk in him. If you're a Christian here today, how did you receive Christ? By grace, through faith. Through the gospel. The same gospel that saved you is the same gospel that will change you. That will grow you. The gospel isn't just for that moment where we believe and then we walk away and we figure out other stuff in the Bible that's more important. That's not the way it works. The gospel is the lifeblood of the Christian life that constantly keeps us moving in the right direction as we rely on Christ for everything that we need. So he says, just as you received Christ, so walk in him. That's our analogy, right? The walking. So here's three ways he's going to tell us to walk. Number one, he says, walk rooted. Rooted? Do things with roots walk? Like, I don't remember, do you, I, I mean, they're like maybe in a sci-fi movie or something, but like usually things with roots don't walk, they stay still, right? They stay planted. Um, and so what we're going to see here is that Paul, Paul's actually going to mix some analogies, okay? He's not, he's not crazy. He's not seeing things that we don't see. Like, he's just mixing some analogies here. So he says, if you're going to walk worthy, one of the things you need to do is you need to be rooted like a tree. I want you to, to picture in your mind like the biggest, most beautiful tree that you've ever seen. And as big and as beautiful as that tree is, on top, what's really important, what's really keeping that tree going is not the leaves and not the branches and not the big trunk, it's the roots. And roots are important to trees for three reasons. One, they help anchor it to the ground, they help keep it in place. They, They help nourish it and get all the nutrients out of the soil so the tree can continue to grow. And it helps protect it from competing vegetation, right? That's why sometimes you don't see a whole lot of plants or little things around the roots of the tree because the the roots are pushing them all out so they have the nutrients that that the tree needs and they're not getting stolen by these other vegetation. That same analogy is what Paul here is applying to the Christian life. That if we're really going to grow in Christ, if we're going to walk worthy in Christ, that we have to be rooted, we have to be anchored in God's word, so that when the storms of life come, they don't blow our faith away. Because it's anchored in the truth of God's word. We need roots in God's word so we can be nourished by it. So we can be fed the truth and so that our hearts can grow, so that our minds can grow in who Christ is and we can become strong in our faith. We need roots in God's word to protect us from other false teaching that's trying to crowd in around us and that we need to be pushed away so we can be rooted in what God says. The real truth and not all these other false things. So Paul says, if you want to walk worthy, you need to be rooted in God's word. Secondly, he says, you need to be built up. Again, another analogy now, we don't build trees, right? We build houses. This is the, the Greek here is talking about building up of a really strong, big house, right? That you're being built up like a strong house. And no matter how strong and beautiful the house is on top, we know that the house is only as strong as its foundation. Again, pointing back to the foundation that is God's word. So once we're rooted in God's word, once we have that foundation, then the Holy Spirit comes and in the Holy Spirit's power, he starts to build us up in the faith. 
He takes those roots that we have in God's word and he starts to use that to nourish and to build us up so we become stronger and stronger in his power. You know, I've been in church a long time. I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. And what I've seen over time is I think there are so many Christians, so many churches that somehow they get in their minds that, 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 that God's word, relying on God's word and relying on the Holy Spirit are like at like opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Like we gotta be about the word, we gotta be in the word, it's all about the word, that spirit stuff, that just is emotional and we, can, we can't have any of that, that just messes up the truth. Or on this side you have the, we gotta listen to the spirit, we gotta have the power of the spirit and, and God's word, yeah, that's important, but that's secondary because we gotta have the spirit, the spirit, the spirit. That is a false dichotomy in the Christian faith. The, God's word and God's spirit are not opposed to one another. They are not in conflict with one another. Right? They, it's, God's word and God's spirit are in collaboration with one another, not competition. We need to be rooted in the truth of God's word and filled with the power of God's spirit, working in tandem together so that we can move forward in our walk with Christ. We want both. So we need to be rooted and built up. And then thirdly, he says, we need to be established. The word established there means to be set, to be settled, to be firm and unmoving, right? In order for us to be set, we need to be set in the remembrance of the reality of our redemption in Jesus Christ. When you fall in sin again, and you're like, Lord, how is this possible? There's no, am I really saved? Like I, I keep, this sin just keeps showing up in my life. Or I keep having this relational problem over here. Or I, I don't have the desire to go to church today. Or I don't have... Am I really saved? Yes, he says, because it has been set, it has been established in the redemption of Jesus Christ. If you truly put your faith in Jesus, his faithfulness, his power, his, he is what sets us and establishes us. It's not based on our good works. It's not based on how good or bad our day is going. He is faithful, we can trust him, we can depend on him, we can have a set and firm, established faith in Jesus Christ. So to walk worthy, Paul says, you need to be rooted in his word, in his knowledge. You need to be built up by the power of the Holy Spirit and you need to be established in the redemption that you have in Jesus Christ. But then he brings it all to head with this statement. He says, after he, after he lists the three things, look what he says. He says, just as you were taught. The fourth thing that we must have in order to be walk worthy of Christ is we have to be taught. See, walking worthy of Christ in these ways, it does not happen naturally. <laughs> Our natural bent is not this. And so we need to be taught or another word would be, we need to be discipled. We use that word a lot around here. We want to be disciples of Jesus Christ. You know what the word disciple actually means? The definition is to be a learner. 
right? It's to be a student. That's what a disciple is. And so if we're going to be disciples of Christ, we have to humble ourselves enough to be teachable, to learn from God, to learn from his word. And Paul says here, I must be taught according to Christ. Not according, he says, to other things. He says, not according to philosophy. All right, you know what philosophy is, right? If you've ever been through school and college, or whatever, like, you take philosophy class. It is, philosophy is man's thinking and man's answers to life's problems. That's what philosophy is. And Paul says, that's not what you need. You don't need to be taught by man's thinking. You have plenty of that in your own head, and it's not going anywhere good, okay? What you need to be taught by is according to Christ. So I want you to, to like just take a moment of honest reflection this morning and ask yourself, is your thinking, is your day-to-day, moment-to-moment thinking, is it more shaped by philosophy, by modern psychology, by scientific theory, by political agendas, by cultural norms? What is it you're listening to? What are you being taught by? What is primarily shaping the way you think in this life? Are you being, do you have other teachers? Or are you being taught according to Christ? He says, not by philosophy. He says, not by empty deceit. Empty deceit means man's motivation and manipulation for personal gain, right? What can I do to to slant this, to angle this so it benefits me more than anybody else? That's deceit, right? That's what he's talking about here, that we we all have this thing that we're we're taught by our culture, we're taught by by our world that like, look out for number one, right? Like, do whatever you gotta do to tilt it so that it benefits you more than anyone else. We have that selfish bent in us. Paul says, don't be taught by that. Be taught according to Christ. And then thirdly, he says, do not be taught by human tradition or elemental spirits. He's talking there about man-made religions, false idols, the things that man decides are most important and starts to put those things up on the pedestal for us to worship and to, to, to follow after. Is, is your thinking being consumed by anything else more than God and more than his mission? Is there anything else in your life that you're worshiping, that you're following more than you're following God? Could be your business. Could be sports. Could be... Uh, your appearance, could be your bank account, could be your children, could be your education. Is there anything that you are, you're thinking is being more controlled by and more organized around and more focused on than God? Paul says that's not the way you need to be taught. You need to be taught according to to Christ. And this is why, look what he says, in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells. I love the redundancy there, right? The whole fullness. All right, Paul, we got it, right? Like he is 100% without any doubt, God in the flesh. 
There is no other teacher that comes even close to being worthy of Christ. But so often we listen to so many other voices instead of being taught by the one who is truly worthy. One of the games that I, I love to play, I enjoy in playing is golf. And, um, but the problem is that I've, I've, never, I've never really been any good at it, um, which is problematic when you want to go out and play. Um, I first started learning to play golf in high school. I had a couple of buddies that played, so they took me out and they were kind of teaching me how to play the game. And I was learning, but I, from the very beginning, I always had this problem with my, my drive, especially with my hit and drill. I would always hit it and it would slice off, just like, just psh, psh. I could never get that thing to go straight. So they would try to like help me and teach me and try to, I go, try this, we'll try this. And they could just never quite get it corrected. And so, so then I joined the, the golf team in high school thinking, all right, maybe the coach can help me, you know, get this thing straight and whatever. And so he, well, try this. And he tried to help me and he couldn't get it fixed. And then I was, I was a ball boy. I was a, a cart boy at one of the golf courses for a little while. And so I talked with the pro in the golf shop, like, hey man, can you help me with my swing a little bit? Like, I need, I need some help. This thing is crazy. And so he tried to help me. He gave me some pointers and things and that, that didn't work, and so I'm like, all right, I guess I'm just not made for this. Um, and so now anytime I go out and play with anybody else who fancies themselves a, a golf expert, they're like, oh, well, maybe you need to try this and try this thing here, so I'll try that, and that doesn't, that doesn't work. And so no matter what I try, I, I couldn't get it fixed. And at this point, I've had so many people give me so many different ideas, and I have no idea what to even try anymore. Like, I'm just like, like this mixed up mess. And so many people deal with that in their whole life. Because they're constantly looking for answers from all these other human sources. And they'll take what the parents said over here, and what this mentor said over here, and what this athlete said on TV, or what this famous person said, or this politician, or this professor, and we try to take all this information try to, to somehow synthesize it all together to make sense of our lives, and it just, it just gets us all jumbled up. Because we're listening to all these human teachers. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you can't learn stuff from other people, you can. There are times where we, don't, we need help with something, there's somebody who has a little bit more experience, that's great, but I'm talking about in the big aspect of living your life in a way that is worthy of God. You're not gonna get there by listening to all these other teachers. We have to be taught according to Christ. But too often we're listening to too many other voices. And when you start being primarily taught and your thinking starts being primarily shaped by anything other than God, guess what? You're gonna start walking worthy of that thing or that person instead of walking worthy of Jesus Christ. Whoever your primary teacher is, is gonna shape the primary aspects of your life. And if that's not Christ, then you're walking down the wrong road. Who are your other teachers? We all have some. 
Just, let's just be honest. Can we be honest in church this morning? Is that okay? Is everybody good with that? We all have other voices, other teachers that are speaking into our lives. And we need to be wise enough to discern who they are and make sure that we're not giving them more prominence in our thinking than we are the word of God. Who are your other teachers? What else are you trying to walk worthy of this morning in your life? Christ teaches me to walk worthy through three avenues. I'm gonna close with this. Three ways that we see that we can learn, we can be taught according to Christ. Number one, the Holy Spirit. The most basic avenue we have to be taught by Christ on a daily basis, on a personal level, just between us and God, is the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us if we will humble ourselves and allow him to teach us. Let me give you a couple verses just so you don't think I'm making it up. John 14, 26, Jesus said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is a gift that God has given us to help us learn and to be taught according to Christ. In John 16, 13, he says again, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whoever he hears, he will, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the first way that we can be taught according to Christ is to listen and to submit to the Holy Spirit. The second way is God's word. This is why every Sunday morning when you come to harvest, you're going to get the same thing, friends. Open up the God's word. What does it say? And what do we do with that? Because we believe the power of God's teaching us comes through his word. Not through the pastor, not through some funny stories, not through some other catchy title or sayings. It comes through God's word. So we want to fill your cup every week as much as we can with the truth of God's word, this is how Christ teaches us. Again, let me give you some verses. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. God gave us this word to teach us Colossians 3, 16 says, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let God's word come and be in you so that you can be taught by Christ. So by the Holy Spirit, by God's word, and number three, last one, by other believers. Sunday mornings are great. We love Sunday mornings, but even more so, we love small groups here at Harvest. We want our people in community with one another each and every week so they can be taught according to Christ by other believers. Your job in a small group, just in case you haven't caught on yet, your job is not just to go there and listen to your small group leader. Your job is to teach and to disciple the other members in your group and to be taught and to be discipled by the other members of your group. It is a group effort together. And this is scriptural. 
Colossians 3.16, the second part of that verse, says, let the word of Christ join you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. God gives us his word, he gives us his spirit so that we can then turn and teach one another as well. Romans 15, 14, same thing, says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. God uses us. One of the Proverbs says that iron sharpens iron, right? He uses us as believers to teach and to help and to lead and to guide one another into the truth. And so if we really want to walk worthy of Christ. We need to be taught by Christ through these three ways. When I started today, I showed you this. I said, my walk with God grows more worthy of him as I learn from him. If you really want to walk worthy of Jesus Christ, and if you're a follower of him, I, I, I hope that you do. It all starts with the redemption. Are you relying on his redemption? Have you been saved by Jesus Christ? If not, man, do that today. If you have questions about that, if you wanna talk to somebody about that, I'll be here after service. Our elders will be out in the lobby after service. Please come grab one of us. We would love to help you with that. But you need his redemption. You need his power. You need his knowledge to even get off on the right foot. And then you have to be taught first and foremost by Christ. Are you being taught by Christ more than other teachers? If not, maybe that's your next step in the faith this morning. Maybe you need to take a step away from some of these other sources that you're filling your heart and your mind with and start spending more time filling your heart and your mind with the word of God. That would be a really great step for some of you this morning. We're all in different places. I don't know where you're at exactly, but I wanna just take a moment now. We're gonna pray. Now, I'm just gonna ask you, will you pray and will you ask God right now, Lord, show me what is my next step in the faith? What can I do to take a step of walking more worthy with you this week? Stand with me, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word. Lord, the power that you've given us in your Holy Spirit, Lord, the fact that you sent Christ to come and to die for our sins and to save us. Lord God, we are eternally grateful for all that you've done. And we thank you, Lord, and we recognize today, God, that we need you. We can never walk worthy of this in this life on our own, God. We need your help. We need your power in us, Lord. Help us submit to you. Help us submit to your teaching above all else in this world. Lord, help us learn from your spirit, from your word, from other believers, so that we can take another step in walking worthy of you, and another step, and another step fill us today. Teach us through your word. Pray all this in Christ's name.